The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 today as we continue our series called Uncommon Community. We're looking at several scriptures uh, this month and next month to, uh, to, that are these pillars, if you will, of what the church should look like. What a biblical community of faith, of those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, what are those things that mark us and that set this community apart from any other community that exists out there? What makes the church, this body of believers, different than your work community, than those that you play sports with, than your family or your siblings? Uh, What makes this unique? And so last week we began the series and looked at the example of the church is like a body. We need one another and you need the body. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at several of the one another's. Those uh, commands in the New Testament, there's about 40 of them that uh, teach us how we are to treat one another. Today, we begin with the foundational one, love one another. Let us love one another. So we'll be in 1 John 4. We could go to many passages, but that's where we're going to be today. It's on page 592, I believe, in the Blue Bible. If you have one of those, if you brought your own copy of God's Word today, well, you're on your own to find 1 John. But it's uh, towards the end. If you go to Revelation, the very last book, and you uh, flip back a few pages, it's one of those small little letters there. As we begin also in looking at this, I need to acknowledge two things before we get into God's word. The first is this. As I began to study this passage this week, and as you know, I I spend several hours uh, each week looking at God's word, wanting it to have an impact in my own heart before I could ever come up here and stand and, and open God's word and, uh, and hope that it has a transformative effect in your heart. And this one in particular, it made me realize this week just how uh, much of a deficit I am to preach this morning. Now, this really isn't any different than any other week. I don't come up here and stand from a place of perfection or of moral authority. As in the commands that uh, we go through that I would say, like, hey, I got this all figured out, so now come be like me. I can never do that any week. But this week, as we begin to uh, look at this command to love one another, I, I was confronted day after day of just how, uh, how much I personally stink at this, how self-serving I am, how uh, I am after my own interests <laughs> way above and beyond the interests of my wife, my kids, my friends, or fellow church members. I preach from a place of deficit. And so as we open up God's word this morning, it's uh, don't, don't look at me as the supreme example of somebody who loves. Second, I want to acknowledge the familiarity that we probably all have with this idea or concept of love. How many of maybe you've sat in church before and you've heard a message on love, biblical love? Yeah, 
Pretty much every hand in the house is raised. We've heard this. And we use this concept of love. We talk about it so much. It's so, we're so familiar. We hear it so frequently. We use it so flippantly that it loses some of its impact. We're like, you might be saying, okay, here we go. Another one of those messages, right? Okay, yeah, I know I need to love one another. Got it, got it, got it. And we're checked out already. And, you know, there's the temptation, even in the familiarity of it, is we could get to a passage like 1 John 4 now, and we could appeal straight to the head. I could come and I could lay out a very exegetical, uh, heady, intellectual message to say three reasons to love one another. Why? Because God is love, because Christ showed us how to love, and it's how we evangelize the lost. And that would be, uh, I would say, a true interpretation would get to the meaning of the six verses we're going to look at today. But if we just looked at it from a purely intellectual level, it would never get to us right here. And when we preach, when we open God's word, it isn't just to have uh, some information transferred to us. When we preach, what God is after is heart transformation. He wants to make us more like Christ. And so as we get into 1 John 4, I want, to, I want us to be after that. I don't want it to just be another one of those messages. I want us to come to God's word, which is clear, which is authoritative, which is perfect, and which gives us the best definition and demonstration of what love is. And so where else could we go but John? Maybe you've heard it said John was, he was one of uh, Jesus' disciples, right? And he has this kind of self-proclaimed, and not, he's not saying this in a pride, but he has a self-acclaimed title as the apostle or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's written five books for us. We have the Gospel of John. We have three letters that he wrote. And he wrote an apocalyptic book. He wrote Revelation. And so he kind of has, he crosses multiple genres. He's a key person in the early church. But we're going to this first letter because in each of the five books that he's written that are included in scripture, the main theme is indeed love. It is love. And so as we get into it, as we look here at 1 John 4, we're going we're gonna, to uh, take it apart a little bit, but I want to set the premise before you. I want to set the premise, which I think John is making the case for in all of 1 John and specifically in these verses. But in light of those problems that I've just acknowledged, that I'm at a deficit, at the risk of this just being more noise in the chaos, here is the premise that I want you to walk away with. To love is worth the risk. To love is worth the risk. Despite our inability to do it, despite the pain and the hurt that we've experienced at the hands of someone maybe we desperately loved, at the frustration that we've experienced, at the awkwardness of trying to get to know someone, in the midst of the betrayal that has, where love has been pushed off, I want you to know this premise, that to love is worth the risk. And our uncommon community as a body of believers is built on our love for one another. See, as John writes the verses that we're about to look at, he is not naive to the pain. He is not naive to the risk. He is not 
naive to the cost that comes from relationships and knowing the Lord. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? We begin in God's word. 1 John 4, look at verse 7. We begin by tapping into the source. We begin by tapping into the source. How do we love? Look here at 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I want to read it for you. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love or does not know God, anyone, sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Beloved, if you want to love, if you want this to be the, a mark of your life and of the community of believers here, it begins by tapping into the source of where love originates from. That first word in verse 7 should startle us like a Yeti falling on the floor. <laughs> Every time you hear something fall again, I want you to, your mind to be drawn to that first word. How does it begin? Verse 7, chapter 4. Say it louder, Katie. What does it say? Beloved. 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 That word that he is using for us as believers should awaken our soul to the warmth of God's love. I've said this before, but uh, if you're new with us here, that beloved is the most common word used of Christians in the New Testament. The word Christian to define those who follow Christ is used three times and always in a manner because they were being jeered for it. They were being ridiculed like, oh, you're a Christ follower. But the apostles, uh, all the writers, they use this term, this identity for you who follow Christ as loved one, beloved. And on the days where we don't feel like that, on the days where uh, that isn't driving with our spouse, on the days when this is where, where we are not feeling anything else, beloved is one of those fixed identities of who you are in Christ. And you know where the source is? Do you know who's first known as beloved in the New Testament? It is Christ himself at Jesus' baptism. Where God the Father opens the heavens, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, God declares upon Christ, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And friends, this morning, God is opening your Bible before you to say you are his beloved son or daughter in Christ Jesus. The same love that the Father has for the Son, we who are in Christ Jesus experience the same love that God has for His Son. God the Father has for His Son and His Son for us as co-heirs with Christ. This is our birthright. God's unconditional love for us, first used of Him, now used of us. We start here and we stay here as His children. This is the source. We are God's beloved. And out of the overflow of that flows the command let us love 
one another. If you're not tapped into the source of love, you will never show love. You will never experience God's love. You will never overflow God's love to the people around you. There's a there, note the contrast here, right? He says, if you know God, if you've been born of God, then you can love. But if you do not love, you don't know God. If you are not tapped into the source, you cannot because God himself is love. He is the embodiment of it. And this, beloved, herein lies the gospel. Do you see it? Do you see it? He's saying you are born of God. If you know God, not just about God. Oh yeah, he exists. He's out there. But if you genuinely know God, you will love. And this is, this is the gospel. We, when we are born again, when we are regenerate, when Christ himself comes and, and dwells us and his Holy Spirit lives within us, we then can love one another. But we must be tapped into the source. We can't build our definition of love based on Facebook memes, fortune cookies, YouTube videos, clever quotes, Romance novels, even our own emotions and those things that make us feel special. Anything apart from God's definition is misleading or just simply untrue. But we love one another by knowing God. Not just about him, not just about him. We study his word to know him. Creation itself, that teaches us there is a God. But apart from this book that you hold in your hands, you cannot know what love is because it is of God and it is the revelation of himself. We must know him. We must know him by tapping into the source. We must know him by tapping into the source. And when when, when we're in Christ, when we are united in this faith, we're the people of God, we are the people of the book. When we devote ourselves to that, then whom do we find revealed in these pages? Christ himself, Christ himself. And so we follow the current. We tap into the source. We follow the current then. Look at verses nine and 10. Look at verses nine and 10, right where he takes us here. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Love itself was put on display. He says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, beloved, once we are tapped into the source, once we go directly to where Christ is, we then become conduits or channels of the love, of the greatest demonstration of love that has ever been known. The world did not know authentic love so perfectly until Jesus came. His life was that perfect demonstration. Every thought, every word, every action, perfect love on display for his people, for the Father. And that didn't just uh, stop with his life when he died all the way to his death, when he died for his enemies without any thought of repayment. The supreme example of self-sacrificing love, what love calls us to do. See, our motives are always mixed, aren't they? When we love, there is in the back of our mind this uh, thought of repayment. Well, if I do this for my wife, then I will 
be repaid with something else later. She'll make me a great meal. There'll be something. I'll get a neck rub or something. And always at the back of my mind, we are, so, uh, we are so corrupted in that. There's nothing that is so sacrificial, so self-giving, with no thought of repayment than death. And that, beloved, is what Christ came to do on our behalf. Hear these words from Romans chapter 5. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What were we? Were we perfect? Were we uh, complete? Were we something uh, like dying? That we were the greatest person, that, the most athletic, the most attractive that Christ came and was like, yeah, I want him on my team. I want her on my team. No, we were weak. We were ungodly. We were sinful. We were his enemies. And he died for us. He died for us at the exact right time that he might like back in our passage back in first john 4 might be a propitiation it's a big word isn't it propitiation you ever heard that before you're like propiti what propitiation it's a big word it's a theological word you can like take this and uh, use it in a sentence later this afternoon with some other friends and people are like oh here she's pretty smart Propitiation is one of those, uh, it's a biblical word, it's a theological word, and it simply means uh, satisfaction or appeasement. That Christ in his death was the satisfaction for the wrath of God that was upon us justly for our sin and offending God. We could do nothing about it. And yet Christ's death, his blood that was shed for us was the appeasement of that wrath so that we who are in Christ would not experience the consequences, the punishment that we deserved for offending God. See why it's the supreme example? It's the supreme demonstration of love. And when we're tapped into the source and we're looking to Christ, this is how we can love one another. This is why it's worth the risk. Because see, Christ took the greatest risk to win the greatest reward. A people for himself. He took the greatest risk in dying on the cross, bearing the eternal wrath of God for our sin took the greatest risk and as we tap into the source and we follow the current as we see christ as we are in that this then is the definition and demonstration of love and where we find what love truly is so we've kind of maybe it's appropriate right now to to just define love because if i were to survey all of us that are in here today we would probably come up with a myriad of answers right if I were to say, hey, define what is love? What is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I'm sorry. Anybody else have that? They say a statement and then the song lyrics pop in their head. Sorry. Um, what is love? Well, here's the Bible's definition of it. The Bible's definition is you before me. You before me. It's very simple. 
We have many manifestations of it. We have many ways to demonstrate this. Later this afternoon, go read Romans 12, beginning in verse 9, down through the, the end of the chapter, really. It says, let your love be genuine. And then it gives all these ways in which we demonstrate love for one another. But it is quite simply just you before me. If you want to like even shorten it up, you can like hashtag you before me. This is the definition. And we put this, we put others before ourselves. We then are effectively and authentically loving them. We are no more like Christ than when we give up our own rights, when we lay down our life for the sake of another. And we, we catch little glimpses of this, of the greater reality in Christ in all, all things, like in movies and in shows and things. And did you know, maybe you're familiar with this movie, Inside Out. Anyone seen it? This was a couple years ago when it came out. We took Malachi, he was probably three years old at the time, and we went and saw it in a 3D theater. And this scene that we're going to watch popped on the, uh, came on the screen, and he made a profound statement, but I want us to watch it. Turn your attention to the screen now.
the theater when my son was three and his goofy 3D glasses. He turns and looks at me and he says, Bing Bong really loved her. And you know what he understood as a three-year-old? He understood that love means you before me. You before me. And this is what Christ did in the most supreme way. Ushers, can we get some Kleenex in the house, right? <laughs> Just kidding. There was an inseparable, we were separated from God in an uncrossable chasm to get to, to, get to the Lord. And Christ put us before himself, sacrificing himself, that we might be saved. We'll try, we can try as unbelievers, we can try to, get, to cross that chasm, we can do all good things, we can try to, 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 to head off the cliff. But apart from Christ, ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen. Love is you before me, and this is what we see in the gospel, in Christ. When we follow Christ's example in this, husbands, this is what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, daily we die to our own preferences for the sake of our wife and our kids. Believers, this is what we do. This is what we are called to do. We won't reach uncommon community as a group of believers in our small groups if we don't put others before ourselves. If we don't lead with love and, and, and out of the overflow of that, say, you know what? I maybe don't feel like it. I maybe have been hurt by this person. I don't really like this. I could be doing a hundred other things, but all of those things, I'm going to sacrifice that and I'm going to come early. I'm going to stay late. I'm going to intentionally engage someone. I'm going to grow in truth with them, laying our emotions, laying the other things that we could be doing, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't like that person. And we are going to love and invest anyways. This is what love calls us to do. We tap into the source. We follow the current. But you know what? It isn't just bottled up right here. It isn't just bottled up in our own relationships. Our, our love for one another becomes conduits so that it floods the fields around us, so that it floods the field around us. Let's pick it up. Verse 11. Here's that word again. Here's that word again. Somebody drop a Yeti. Beloved, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How could we put Christ's sacrifice uh, on the cross before us and not let that move us to love one another? And in verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, believers. Don't miss this. He's saying the degree to which you love others reveals the degree to which you love God. The degree that, to which you love others is the degree to which you love God. And as I read these things, do you want to, you want to know why, why I was laid low this week? It's because of that very thing. So I say, oh yeah, I love God, I love God, I love you, Lord. 
then I examine my life and how I treat other people and I constantly put others, <laughs> I put myself before others and I realize, maybe not so much, not so much, but his love rather is the tidal wave, is the tidal wave that floods those around us. This is what he says. He says, nobody has ever seen God. Nobody has seen God manifest, God the Father. Yes, we've had Christ. He came and lived, put on human flesh and all that. But he's saying, nobody has ever seen God, but who do they see? You and I. You and I, those whom the Spirit abides in, they see the floodwaters. They see the effect that God has had on our life. They see the transformation. They see who I once was. An enemy of God, somebody out for my own good, somebody consumed with myself, and then Christ has come in. We've experienced this love, and now I'm a changed person. They see the effect of God abiding in us. They see the growth. That's what it means when he says his love is perfected in us. It's kind of a strange word. It's like, wait, can we be perfect? No, it's a term for growth. It's, a, it's, it's kind of an obscure word, but think of it like this. Like a seed is then perfected when it grows and blooms into a flower. It's the idea of completion. And so we who have the gospel in us, that seed that's been planted in us, his love is blooming so that others can see the beauty of who God is. That's what he means. And so as we have that seed, as we are in Christ, then that is what is on display for people to see. A watching world. See, our love for one another is not just bottled up here, but it floods the fields, the fields that are ripe for the harvest. The fields in which God is working. And so every Sunday after church gets out, there should be a massive tidal wave across our city. As God's people who come and experience the love of God, who sing and who are filled uh, by his spirit, as we come out, we then flood his love spilling over to others. And yet we're a fickle people. We're a fickle people. We, we, we come, we encounter God, and then we're like, man, my stomach's rumbling. Better get down to lunch. And we just, we, we forget what God has just done, what we've just sung about, what, we, what, what holds us up. God has put his glory on display. He has loved us. God, would you help us? Would you help us to love one another? Would you help us to put others before yourself? You know, as I was wrestling with this this week and being brought low and just how does this play out, you know, it jumped off the page to me. Do you know why love is worth the risk? Why we are a people of God who tap into the source, who follow the current, who experience Christ and who want, that to, want our lives to reflect that as we, as we live in it. But you know why it's worth the risk? Because how does verse 12 come to conclusion there? If God, what? He, God abides in us. If we love one another, then what? God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you see the implication? Do you see the implication? That it's God's spirit inside of us. Are we able to do this? Are we capable of perfectly loving? No, left to ourselves, we will every time choose ourselves. But God's spirit living inside us enables us to do this. And so as we are in God's word, as we are with God's people, as we are praying and we are walking in the spirit, then as Galatians 5 says, love is a fruit of the spirit. 
And too often we come, up, we come up, uh, uh, up to our inability to love and we decide to do something about it in all the wrong way. We say, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love better and I'm going to love my wife, which is a good sentiment. But apart from Christ's help and the spirit working inside of us, that love will never bloom. And so we say, God, today our starting place is I'm going to walk in the spirit I am going to, I, I want you, Spirit, to, uh, to control me today. I want you to fill me. And how do we do it? It's not this like mystical experience. We do it by getting in God's word, by praying, by filling our mind and meditating on God's word and the things that he calls us to do. And then out of the overflow of that, then it's the fruit. Then we can love this other person even when they are the ones that have hurt us. Because see, here's the thing. Even as believers, you know what? Even if, even if you and I have something that's been between us, I have God's spirit in, in me, you have God's spirit in you, and even though you may have hurt me, I trust God's spirit that is abiding in you. And God has nothing but love for us. He, is, he has, we trust the Lord. And so we can continue to come back, we can continue to press in, we can continue to love and forgive one another because of the spirit that abides in us. This is the game changer. This is the game changing truth of this command. Our reality is fixed in the love of God for us, in Christ Jesus and is fixed for one another, and so we can press forward, even on the days when we don't, and we have to pray like Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 3, make us increase and abound in love for one another. Sometimes you just have to pray that to the Lord. Say, God, make me increase. I don't feel like it today, but make me increase and abound to be generous and overflowing, but that is the only way to successfully love person next to you. This is the only way that within our church, uncommon community will be achieved. This is the only way that broken relationships can be restored. This is the only way to fix something that is busted up. This is the only way, the way of love that the gospel advances. And that's what we're about as a church, aren't we? That's what we are about. God's glory the vertical love that was demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus in making disciples who love one another. Beloved, 